Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. All right, then. Going to call Kali Ennis. Here we go. I'm going to call him on WhatsApp. Opening the app. Calling. Kali Ennis. Happy New Year. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you too. Thank God. <laughs> I got everything working. <laughs> Collie, I saw a picture of you in the Frog and Toad, your little homemade uh, pub, wearing an iron jumper. And I thought to myself, you've gone full Wicklow man. Native. You've gone full Wicklow man. I'm absolutely gone. I'm going to get myself a nice walking stick next. And I think yeah, <laughs> the image will be complete. You have the wax jacket, you have the cloth cap, yeah. and you have the iron jumper. That's it. Laughing, laughing. What are we going to talk about today? Well, Collie, we spent a lot of time in Ireland. That's where you live and that's where I used to live. And now I live in the Netherlands. And I thought you might like a little virtual trip to the Netherlands to talk about something you probably never thought we'd ever talk about on this show, The Critter Shed. Well, nothing's out of bounds, I suppose, but yeah. It involves insects. Very nice. It involves insects being eaten. Even better. <laughs> and it also involves one of my absolute favourite science communicators. Now, so tell me who you are and where we are. Hi, my name is Marie Fack. I'm a biologist and science communicator. And we are currently in the Hortus Botanicus in Leiden, a botanical garden. So that's my friend Marie. And you never met Marie, but you were in a couple of programmes together. Um, about nature that I recorded for other people. Yeah, that's right. I remember hearing her before. She's really cool, really, really knowledgeable. She is. And she got us some pretty spectacular access. So she works in the Botanic Gardens, the Hortus Botanicus in Leiden University. So she managed to get us in before the Botanic Gardens actually opened. And she brought us into the big, beautiful greenhouse to show us Insectivorous plants. Oh, brilliant. Backstage passes to the monster <laughs> plant party. I love it. That's fantastic. Nothing better. I'm going to come to your left. So, this is a real privilege because we have the place to ourselves. Yes, we do. We got in early before everyone else today. <laughs> I like your husky voice, by the way. <laughs> Very fetching. Now, oh, another stairs. Okay. So, plants are all the way on the top. <laughs> Locked away safely. So we're in this, um, I don't know, it's like a, a glass structure with, like a huge glass house, isn't it? It's basically a big greenhouse, yes. And we're currently in the winter greenhouse because most of the space is used for plants that are outside in the summertime. So just imagine a massive greenhouse and there's a stairway up the centre of it. So it's a sort of a steel 
tubular steel stairway so you can hear that as you're walking up. Mm-hmm. And it's up there that they have all these wonderful types of plants that Marie is going to talk to us about and introduce us to. So what I'm looking at is something like a large trough the size of a massive, massive, say, boardroom table, just huge, standing on legs. And there's several of them dotted around the place. And they're all, they all have a habitat in them. So it looks like bogland exactly. and lots and lots of different types of plants. Oh, that was, I'm just still breathless yes. from the stairs. <laughs> so where do you want to start? We can start here because I think this is a really nice start. Because most of the plants that we see here are actually different types of carnivorous plants. And most of them that are here, you would never find them in this setting in nature, because they're plants from all different areas of the world. Some are native, some, for example, like the Venus flytrap up there, yeah. it's actually from America, and you can only find them in America. But other plants, like the sundews here, yeah. you can find different species basically all over the world, apart from um, Antarctica. Right. It's, it's too cold for them there. I'm going to look at this plant, which I think is called the sundew, and maybe you'd describe what that looks like. Yes. Uh, to me, they always look a little bit like an upside-down jellyfish, like the tentacles of a jellyfish. But instead of all flaccid lying down, they're all stretched up in the air. And they have little arms on the end, little leaves that are covered in tiny little red tentacles with like little glistering dots of liquid. Yeah, they look really beautiful and you know when I think of a, an insectivorous plant you think of the Venus flytrap that's what, yes. what everyone thinks of right yes. but this looks nothing like a Venus flytrap so no. it looks very pretty and how does it you know eat well the little glycerin dots that we see they're actually sticky and digestive juices Oh, yeah. So I see what looks like dew drops, which I yeah. guess is the name, dew exactly. drops on these beautiful little red tentacles. And the red tentacles are set on these green um, leaves, which are really attractive. And that's, that's their weapon then. Yes, exactly. And it's no coincidence that they do look like dew drops because there is a theory that they're mimicking actual dew drops so that thirsty insects and looking, and looking for water actually think, oh, I can have a drink here sit down and then they get trapped in the sticky juices <laughs> that's what it looks like yeah, yeah that's exactly what it is and if you look down here you can even see that there's some little flies oh yeah stuck to them and with this one it's really interesting because you can see it's kind of curled up most of them are pretty straight yeah but this one the tip is really curled over almost folded over uh-huh. and this is what happens when an insect gets stuck and starts moving the movement will trigger the plant to actually fold over and the more the insect moves the more of the sticky tendrils actually reach towards the insect and it gets even more stuck. Oh, that's so mean and so ingenious. It is, it really <laughs> is. But for the plant, it's also really great because the more digestive juices touch the insect, the faster it breaks down and the easier it is for the, for the plant to absorb all the nutrients, which is why the plant does it in the first place. Yeah. And that was actually my next question, which yeah. I should have led with. So why do insectivorous plants do what they do? I'm going to stop that there on a cliffhanger. Um, I've sent you a picture there, Kali, of the sundew. Yeah. And it's actually quite small. It's shaped like a tongue. And it's maybe only the size of the first digit of your thumb, say. Mm-hmm. It's really tiny. But isn't that clever, though? Yeah, it's so clever. So clever. You find them, if pe- people want to find them, I think Boggs is really uh, one of the best places in Ireland to spot them. I didn't know we had 
insectivorous plants here. That's how naive I am. Mm. But once you start seeing them, if you go out to any of the beautiful bogs that we have that are open to the public, if you spot one, you'll suddenly see them everywhere. Get your head down to the mud. <laughs> That's what you'll need to do. Crouch down. Mm. So do you know why they've adapted to this method of getting food? Uh, I believe it's because of the poor nutrition in where the places that they grow. Yeah, exactly. So let's hear what Marie has to say about that. You said earlier this looks like a bogland or like a marsh or something. And these habitats are characterized by having really nutrient-poor soils. Plants need nutrients, they need to eat like we do. Most of them get their nutrients from the soil. But in these areas, because there's so much water and because they're so old, there's not that much biomass that gets broken down. Um, and there's not that much bacteria activity that creates these nutrients and make them available for the plants. So the plants need to come up with a different source of nutrients, especially nitrogen. And insects happen to have a lot of nitrogen in their body. We do too. Um, so yeah, they somehow evolved different mechanisms all over the world, independently from each other, to utilize the nutrients in animals. Isn't that just astounding? It's amazing. Amazing. Really is cool. Because we, we tend to be so plant blind, and I'm, I'm clearly one of those people as well. We don't, as humans, we don't tend to notice plants as much as we do other animals. Sure we don't? No, not really. I suppose if, if, if you're into your garden, you can kind of relate to it a little bit more. But yeah. it's one of those things that we sometimes don't equate them to being living. <laughs> I know it sounds daft saying that, <laughs> but people just think them as like a bit of furniture or, or something that they put out in, the, in in their garden, obviously, to grow. And, yeah. But these these are living creatures and, you know, struggling to survive like every other living organism on the planet. And yeah, and, and some of them are doing it in, in a pretty nasty way, <laughs> which is deadly, you know, so yeah. And an ingenious way. An ingenious like- way, yeah. But here's a question for you now, Collie. So, if this plant has developed this ingenious method of catching dinner, digesting dinner, how are they pollinated? Oh, I, I, <laughs> that's a good one. You'd have to have a flower. <laughs> It'll have a flower, but where does the flower go? Mm-hmm. Let's have a listen to see what Marie says. The plant is more or less about five centimeters tall, mm-hmm. but the flower stalk itself, I would say, is around 20. So almost four times the size of the rest of the plant. And there are two main theories why this is. The flower is really high up and away from the plants. And if you're trapping insects, it might be beneficial not to offer your pollen to insects that might get stuck in your leaves because you want the pollen to be spread. You want to distribute your seeds, your pollen, your genes. So if you would trap the insect that just touched all and ate all your pollen and is covered in it, you don't want it to get stuck in your traps. You want it to actually continue to spread it. But there's another theory that if you think about the habitat, they usually live in boglands. And these plants are relatively low. And if you would imagine a tiny little flower just between all the grasses and everything else, it's really hard to find your flower. So maybe there's another theory that the flowers are so tall just to make it easier for insects to find it. Mm. I personally am a big fan of, to think that maybe a little bit of both is true because mm. nature tends not to be black and white in these things. But I think it's really fascinating when you see these tiny little plants and then all of a sudden you have this massively long stalk with little flowers on top and some of them are really beautiful. It's just fascinating. Yeah, so your pollinators get a free pass. Absolutely. (laughs) They help you. They pee. (laughs) 
That's brilliant. Really cool. I like the idea of a mast of a of a flower to keep it away from the... <laughs> no, but it is ingenious to think that yeah. the plant has overcome two problems. The first problem is, how do I get fed? I'm in soil that has almost no nutrients in it, so I developed this ingenious way over millennia or over God knows how long and how many generations and evolve into this plant that traps insects. But then if those insects would also be potential pollinators, yeah. then how do I solve this problem of not you know, getting them stuck so they can actually pollinate me. Yeah, it's a bit of a Robin Hood character. It's 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 stealing a lot from the insects, but it's also giving a little <laughs> fact. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> so... The next plant that we are going to get to know is something very interesting as well. That is one of the pitcher plants. So there are two different types of pitcher plants. These types you can also find in Europe. They're more like a tubular shape. Mm -hmm. And actually what happens is that the entire leaf has evolved to be rolled up and forms this pitcher. To me, they also look a little bit phallus-shaped, mm -hmm. especially yeah. because they have some red veinage going on. Yeah, now if Collie was here, he would have comments to make about that. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> but they work a little bit different. They don't use glue. They have a very slippery edge. If you look over here, you see that sort of like a collar standing up and then inside you have a rim mm -hmm. and this rim is really slippery so if an insect crawls up and wants to have a look inside it's really easy to fall in and then inside you can kind of see that there's a lot of liquid inside oh yeah and that's not necessarily only water. There's some water in it, but there's also some acidic substances and also digestive juices. Uh -huh. And in combination with the water, the walls inside are also ridiculously slippy. So once something fills in, it's really hard to get out. Because even if you fly, your wings are wet. You cannot start flying again. So they usually drown yeah. at some point. It's a really slow death. And then they get digested over time. Wow. But I also see something else that's really intriguing. I'm looking at the inside of this picture and I see the water, I see the liquid, but I also see downward facing hairs or something that looks like downward facing hairs. Exactly, very well spotted. These hair uh, face downwards for a purpose because if you think of a fly sitting there and then starting to fly up again, it can't fly up because the hairs are hindering it. Yeah. So it would have to drop first and then probably hit the water. And also for a lot of insects, it's hard to crawl up against downward-facing hairs. It's a little bit like the back of the throat of a penguin. They also have these downward uh, spikes so that the fish that they swallow alive can't get back out. That's ingenious. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the machinations yeah. unfolding just in front of us are fantastic. So beautiful pitcher plant. I've also seen versions of pitcher plants. So these ones are actually sitting in the soil, like standing upright. Yes. But I've seen pitcher plants that actually sort of almost emerge from a stalk and hang. Yes, this is what we have over here. Um, these actually are a little bit different. A lot of people think that the pitcher itself is a flower, but it's actually the tip of a leaf. And if you look closely, you see a leaf coming from the stem. Yeah. And then you sort of have like a little string uh -huh. out of the leaf and then you have the pitcher attached there's a, also pokemon that looks a lot like these <laughs> so if you're into pokemon you might recognize these immediately but it's actually just the tip of a leaf that was transformed in a, into this shape and they also have a little lid that they some of them can actually open and close it depending on temperature and light conditions and climate in general 
They also work similar, they're also filled with a liquid. And here you can really see this beautiful rim that they have. It's bright red with these and has like little grooves almost. And it's also incredibly slippy. So as soon as you fall in, that's it. <laughs> Game over. Wow. Amazing. Unless you're a frog. There are some frog species that actually cohabit with these and actually put their eggs and tadpoles in them. And then the tadpoles grow inside these pitchers, eat all the insects that fall in and poop out. So the plant actually lives from the nutrients ah, of the poop. So we have the sort of symbiotic thing going yes. on. The, the plant doesn't harm the frog, but the frog gets something from the plant and then gives something back. Absolutely. Oh, amazing. I just remembered we actually used to have a pitcher plant. It was one of the, the that type of plants where a sort of a long tendril emerged from the plant and then a pitcher grew onto it, like the one that we're looking at here, which is a, a larger one than the one that yeah. we had just a minute ago. And the pitchers sort of died off. And like, how does that work? Do they, they last long or how does that whole thing work? Well... There's no general rule of thumb with that, but with most plants, things just age. I mean, if you, have, if you look at trees, now they all have beautiful colors and the leaves are dropping in autumn. But also in tropical areas, they just get rid of old plant materials, like we shed hair. And at some point, the, it might be damaged or maybe the conditions are not right. And then the plant decides, I'm just going to suck out all the nutrients. This is when it turns all brown and crispy. And then it just produces new pitches. And this can be anywhere from a few weeks to a few months to a few years. What do you think about that? That's fantastic. So we had Sunju first, who came up with this idea of having droplets on its leaves to attract insects. But this one, this plant went even further and developed this pitcher-like vessel. Yeah. And put some very tantalizing water inside and then had the great idea of making it really slippy on the inside as well. I mean, good God. Plants. Yeah, it's it's like a, a, a vegetable stomach. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's what it's like. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and they do look like, I'm looking at the, some of the photographs and I've, I've seen them myself, they look almost like the jugs you use to pour your milk in. You know, something you'd see that's been crafted to hold water. So, yeah. That's right. And quite alien looking yeah they do they really do and as Marie was saying there are two types one where the sort of the, the pitcher grows almost straight out of the ground so it's like this trumpet shape yes and then there's another yeah, one where the pitcher that. sort of hangs from a stalk hangs from um, yeah from the main plant and they're fascinating to watch because the pitchers actually have a little lid and when they're developing yeah. the lid is closed and then the lid is closed so you're, you're you know, waiting day by day and watching when is the lid going to pop open and then of course the best part comes when you see a fly hovering around and you go okay I might see something interesting happening here you know <laughs> in he goes yeah yeah so there's some pitcher plants that are, are, are very interesting as well because they've basically become uh, lavatories for small mammals. So basically, they're still the same setup. They look the same. But instead of attracting insects, what they do is they put this sugary substance just above the actual pitcher itself. And Mr. Rodent or small mammal comes along and starts licking the substance and having a great meal. And like all small rodents and mammals, you'll see when they're having a, a, a nice relaxing meal, they'll, 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 they'll drop one. They'll defecate. Yeah, they'll do a little <laughs> plop. And, and they've, they've evolved to attract these, these small mammals along to, to have a, a bit of a feast and to do their business. And again, that goes into the, the pitcher and that becomes the, their source of, uh, 
of food. That's ingenious. They are unbelievably alien and unbelievably cool. And I'd recommend anybody if they want to see something, you know, that really brings to life how unusual these plants are, to watch one of them developing the pictures speed it up yeah and uh, i'm sure we can find a link on on youtube and put it in the description but yeah there are some brilliant video videos and you just see it developing and just like oh my god how does this come about you know evolution is a marvelous marvelous thing it's intoxicating like i had such a great morning with marie As I was standing there looking at these beautiful pitcher plants and the sundews, there's lots of different species of plant growing in this particular area. There's just like little plant pots and stuff upstairs on this particular area that we're standing with lots of different species in it. But I noticed this really, really delicate um, flower. It was almost like, like, it's almost like a cat's whisker, that thin, but very long, maybe about 10, 15 centimetres. And at the end of it was a tiny little delicate yellow flower. And you'd almost overlook it that it's so tiny, like that the flower is just a few few millimetres, really. And I found out that it was a bladderwort. And they have an even more ingenious method of trapping and digesting. Wait till you hear this. All right, so what do we got next? Well, we've got some that are most overlooked in our display. And it's these tiny little thin green stems with really tiny, delicate little white flowers that remind me of uh, snapdragons. Oh. You know, I, I wouldn't even have noticed that because there's, there's this very small stalk coming out from between the, the um, sundew. And the flower is three, centi- three millimeters. It's a tiny, beautiful white flower. It is. The stalks almost look like hair mm-hmm. just sticking out and it almost looks like there's some lint just stuck to it on mm-hmm. the display. But they are actually also a form of carnivorous plants. They're part, they have a different mechanism. So they don't use glue or liquid to trap some insects. But on their roots, they have tiny little sacs that have under pressure in it and are closed. And then on the outside, you have tiny little hairs and if tiny little microorganisms or like springtails or something that live in the soil come and brush against these hairs they in just hundred of hundredth of a millisecond they open when they open because there's under pressure in they suck all the water and everything in the immediate surrounding the opening in and then the lid closes again and then whatever the prey is trapped and then can slowly be digested it is fascinating you can find some clips on youtube and it's so fast that you don't even know what happened it's incredible my gosh, I mean, we have we come up with humans, we come up with some amazing ideas for horror stories, but we don't need to because they're all there in nature. <laughs> Absolutely. And these tiny little plants actually are considered or to consider to have the most advanced mechanism in all plants because it's so ingenious, so simple, but so highly effective. Yeah. And there, you also have some aquatic species that just float on the surface and they eat, can eat even water fleas. So pretty big small insects it's incredible because in relation to the size of the flower like the water flea is not that much smaller you know and now that you've mentioned it i'm looking at this beautiful habitat here now that you've now that you've pointed out this one hair-like plant with the tiny tiny flower now i'm seeing them everywhere yeah and they're really small and really you know you'd easily overlook them 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can find some bigger plants of them. Like, for example, some of them swim on wetlands and have these beautiful yellow flowers. You would never think this is a carnivorous plant. You would think, oh, it's just one of the pond plants, probably. But they do eat, they are carnivorous and they do eat a lot of insects and water fleas and these kind of things. It's incredible. That's amazing. Carly, I think this bears repeating. This piece of knowledge just almost blew my little brain away. <laughs> Had you never heard of bladderwort before? I hadn't, no. The bane of Daphne. Yes, so, yeah, yes. An amazing, an amazing, amazing little plant, yeah. So you have a picture there that I sent you uh, with, yeah, the, cool. with the little sacks. And just to, to, to repeat it again, because it's so incredible. So they have these tiny little sacks in their root system. And I think some of these bladderworts can be in very, very wet stuff as well, or even in, in ponds. Yeah. These little sacks are closed. Yeah. And when something touches it, as Marie said, within a millisecond, they suddenly spring open. So they're creating then a vacuum inside themselves. And that's pulling everything from quite a distance away, relatively speaking, to the size of the sack. Mm -hmm. Pulls everything within a really good distance into itself. And um, yeah, they take in Daphnia, which would not be that much smaller than the actual bladder itself. So, yeah. I mean, gee. <laughs> it's fantastic. Think of, think of it, if, if you're trying to visualise it, it's like something you'd see in a sci-fi movie when a spaceship gets blown up that's and right. somebody gets sucked out through the, yes. into space. That's exactly what's happening. That's to exactly it. Microorganisms, as they, as they tip off those, those bladders, they go straight in yeah. and slowly digested again, um, a grisly end. But what a, yeah. an amazing, an amazing uh evolutionary trick that they've pulled to, 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 to make their way. That is unbelievable. Like uh, horror stories all over the place. <laughs> you know, like horror stories yeah. beneath your feet. Yeah. Millimetres in size. Yeah. They're pretty little flowers too though, aren't they? Yeah. I've seen the the eating end of it, we'll say, <laughs> the digestive end of it, but I've never seen the flowers and they're actually gorgeous. They're so gorgeous. Very delicate, as Marie said, very long, look like, like a hair with just a tiny bit of lint or cotton or something attached to it. And then it's only when you look, you say, oh my God, they're everywhere. And again, as she said, you very easily overlook them. Yeah. You never think that they're these, you know, secret assassins that are <laughs> cleaning, cleaning out little <laughs> ponds that they're grown out of, which is, yeah, yeah it's amazing. It reminds me of, um, wasn't there a film recently with, or in the last few years with um, Scarlett Johansson where she's um, this stunningly beautiful alien who eats people? <laughs> That's how I see these plants. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was species I think you're talking about. I don't think that was her. That, okay. that was another one, but yeah, that is mental, yeah. That's what it reminds me of. I'm thinking, I'm thinking more along, along the lines of Little Shop of Horrors here with that famous giant eating plant. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, what, a, what an amazing group of plants. Just so interesting. And I never knew that the bladderwort was like so advanced when you think about mm. all those different things that need to happen for it to be able to catch its food, basically, you know, to have that trigger mechanism, to have the the, the vacuum, mm. to have the sack as well. Yeah, it's mind blown. And again, it's just yeah. hard to get your head, even though, you know, they exist yeah. and they're real. It is hard to get your head around because we have this kind of innocent view of plants Um yeah, and, and they're far from it. They're far from it. Yeah. Okay, so we're not finished yet. And you mentioned uh, Little Shop of Horrors, and that brings up pictures of... Oh, yes. The classic. 
Now, there's one that we haven't looked at yet, which everybody imagines when they think of carnivorous plants, and that's the old Venus flytrap. Yes. Should we go back to it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Love that. Okay. Now, in the little shop, horrors, uh, I think they have stuff that looks like Venus flytraps, and they're enormous. But these, these are tiny. They're only a couple of half a centimeter even they are and most carnivorous plants especially the ones in europe are actually quite small i bet that most people that have been in a bog area actually walk past carnivorous plants and never notice them because you, you always see these big pictures of them so you think oh clearly i must notice this it's so big but the first time i saw them in the wild it took me five minutes and i realized when i walked back that i was walking for five minutes through an entire area completely covered in sundews until i noticed them wow. And the Venus flytraps, they're also really small. And if you look closer, once you saw them, you really see they're, they're everywhere. They yeah. are. And they're very close to the ground. And the, the actual like, mouth part, with the, they're just such great looking things. They just look like jaws, don't they? They do, absolutely. And there's, there's a reason. Um, so they, I think most people know that once an insect is inside, mm. it closes. Mm-hmm. But what I find really fascinating is how the closing mechanism is triggered. Because there are little hairs inside of these jaws and they have to be triggered twice within 20 seconds for the plant to actually close. It can be shorter if an insect brushes in like a few milliseconds twice the same hair, then the mechanism gets triggered. But this prevents, for example, wind or fallen leaves or anything the mechanism to close because it costs the plant some energy. If you have an insect trapped inside, that's perfectly fine. But if it's just a leaf or even the wind, that would be quite annoying for the plant. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. And you might notice that the inside of the trap has a really nice coloration. It's red and variety of shades. Some are really dark red, almost blood red. Others just have this nice gradient. Mm. And this, again, is to lure in insects. And there's also some patterns under UV light that the insects see and think, oh, let's have a look there. It's amazing when you start looking. I've seen some documentaries about UV light and where they, they try and show us what the insects see and it's so different isn't it and sometimes you see little almost like landing pads directing the insect to the pollen or to whatever the plant wants the insect to do it's fascinating mm. so these guys have it too uh, one of the things that i love the most about these is that when they snap close if you look closely they first go really fast but then the last few millimeters close really slowly and the teeth-like structures on these edges of these mechanisms act like jaws and interlock each other. And the idea is that if it's a big insect that is trapped inside, it's going to be trapped, there's no escaping. But if it's a small insect that doesn't have much nutrient val- uh, value, it can still crawl out and escape between the little gaps while it's slowly closing. Uh-huh. So the plant is really selective and says, okay, I'd rather have something big in here that I digest with lots of nutrients than like a tiny fly or a tiny ant. They, they can escape. I'm okay with that. Please go away. It has to be worth it. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And even though they're probably the most famous carnivorous plant, they have the smallest distribution range. You can only find them in certain areas in the USA natively, which I find fascinating. That is, that's the, that's... This can take on any of the amazing adaptations that any of your tarantulas or sand bugs, whatever, like this is mind boggling. (laughs) Amazing. So basically they're saying, give me the big fries. I don't want the small ones. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) (laughs) Super size me. Yeah, super size me. That's it. Yeah. 
And it makes sense when you think about it because like mm. it must take a lot of energy to kind of close that leaf so fast and then the whole digestive process. And why would you want to do it for an ant as opposed to a blue bottle? So yeah, totally makes sense, you know. That is that is mental. Again, like a newfound, absolutely gobsmacked respect for these little creatures. Actually, Leo um, brought home a Venus flytrap and he rang me to tell me he was bringing home a Venus flytrap. And of course, me and my innocence, I thought it was going to be about six foot tall and I'd have to rescue the cats from within its jaws. But of course, it was just this tiny little thing living in a very small pot, like maybe a centimetre or something. Like I was thinking as well, Collie, you know, if you're out on safari in Africa where you apparently have been several times. Um, Don't I talk about it? You, know, you rarely bring it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that people want to see is, oh, we have to see a kill and all these wonderful wildlife documentaries, you know, document how one animal mm-hmm. kills another animal. Yeah. And it's fantastic and it's usually large animals killing other slightly smaller animals. Yeah, the me- attractive megafauna we call it, yeah. Exactly, yeah. But we actually almost saw a kill. Uh. There was this wasp hovering around one of the pitcher plants. Oh, hang on, I see an, oh, a fly. You can see a wasp flying around, but it might be lucky and get away. But uh, you can really see they are attracted. They always fly up and have a look on these red ends of the tubes. Ooh. Oh, it's checking out one of the pitchers. Oh, it's landed on the pitcher lid. Ooh, let's see if it falls in. If it goes in, let's have a look closer. <laughs> it's sampling now, it's on the red. Sitting there, slowly creeping closer. So, so far now it's only on the lid. It hasn't gone towards the actual opening of the pitcher. Yeah, maybe it does. Some of these species are also highly specialised to certain insect species. So I'm not quite sure if this is a perfect match, but maybe we're lucky. Maybe we get to see it. Oh, no. And I'm thinking this might be one of the species that might offer some sort of nectar on the rim because it looks like the wasp is sitting there eating something. So it wasn't exactly the adrenaline fueled <laughs> chase that you see through. <laughs> it really looks like it's still on the, ri- on, on the lid, certainly enjoying what it's getting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Everybody, we all turn into rubberneckers when we see these things nearly happening. Like It's unbelievable. It's a morbid yeah. fascination. It's like me when I see a, a fly land on a spider's web. I'm just like, oh, go on. And it's just, and it's like, it's this <laughs> darkness in every one of us. I don't know what it is, but they, I could see you there <laughs> praying that that wasp was going to go and meet a grizzly end. <laughs> Fantastic. I was tempted, but I didn't push it. Did it fall or was it pushed? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's yeah. it, that's it. But as you were saying there earlier on, a lot of us, you know, we tend to look for, the, you know, the wolves chasing mm. the bison and the, and the bigger things. And it is one of the things I try to tell, you know, zoology students and anybody who's interested in nature is to kind of get your head down and, and get into the, the smaller things, look under logs and, and rocks and, and look at these plants, for example, like that has... has as you were saying earlier on, you could walk for five minutes and not even notice you're walking through a field of them, you know, and it's just kind of just to have a look at these smaller things because they, to me, are equally as fascinating. And as we've found out today, 
completely bizarre and, and gross and, and amazing and heavy metal as well. So, yeah, um, it's, it's, you know, they say stop and smell the roses, but I think you can stop and ha- have, a ga- have a gander at the digestive juices of a sundew and be fucking brilliant, you know? Like it is the Serengeti in miniature. It really is. We did actually go to another greenhouse and we saw really large pitcher plants, like almost the size of my hand. Each of the pitchers was almost the size of my hand with massive cockroaches in them, like American cockroaches. Yeah, dead, being digested, being digested. Yeah, if you're a Star Wars fan, you can relate to this because uh, Boba Fett fell into the Sarlacc pit. Yeah, I'm showing, I'm showing my, uh, I'm showing my nerdy side now. But yeah, Boba Fett fell into the Sarlacc pit and was supposed to be digested over a thousand years. So yeah. <laughs> And I remember as a kid thinking that was that was pretty uh, a gruesome way to go. But like nature is imitating art or art is imitating nature, I suppose. So there you go. Well, Collie, it was a pleasure having you to Leiden University, to the Hortus Botanicus, to my new hometown. That was f- fantastic. And uh, it sounds like an absolutely beautiful spot. And It's lovely. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for taking us there, both mm. That was That was brilliant. And I'm at to learn an awful lot more about... Uh, those uh, vicious plants than I than I did before so I really appreciate that it's great to pick up new little bits and pieces of information so fair play and thanks a million to Marie Ferg yeah one of my most fantastic friends and wonderful science communicator and it's always a pleasure to be with her hopefully get to meet her someday mm. yeah hopefully get to meet her someday when I visit you so yeah brilliant awesome I'm gonna go out and have a look around my local wetlands to see if I can find some sun juice now in, in, oh yeah yeah I think I will too yeah Critter Shed is part of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts, as is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. You can find more great shows at thewarren.ie. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns